When they go into these prisons, they actually become worse. Much worse. Than actually getting rehabbed or... Yes. Prisons are a breeding ground to become institutionalized and to learn basically how to do more crime. I've heard inmates that don't even want to be in the class and they're talking about all this identity theft and you don't even have to pick up a gun no more. And I hear all these guys teaching each other how to commit crimes. <laughs> and I'm sitting there saying, oh my God. My guest today is Alfred Lopez, former California inmate who was sentenced to life for a murder robbery and has spent 30 years in prison. Today he'll talk about how he was able to turn his life around and why current rehabilitation programs are not effective. When you look at the numbers, I mean, we're talking about over $100,000 a year to incarcerate one inmate right now in California. So we're spending their money on rehab, but we're not getting any numbers, any we, statistics on what- We don't know the numbers yet. <laughs> Crime is only gonna get worse. I'm Siamai Koremi, welcome to California Insider. Alfred, it's great to have you on, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, C-Mac, it's, uh, it's uh, great to be here. I've seen a lot of your segments and your shows and uh, they've inspired me to want to come on your show. Excellent, and we want to talk to you about rehabilitation. And you know, California, there is this big debate that we're, we're gonna uh, close the prisons and we should do more rehabilitation. We should go after the root cause of the crime. You kind of, you've been in this system, you were in this system. Um, can you tell us more about what the prison system looks like? How much rehabilitation is there? What does it look like? Well, you should hear the stories I've heard in some of these places I've been in. When I've been in shops, you know, we're mechanic shops where we're learning a vocational trade. And I've heard inmates that don't even want to be in the class, but I hear them talking to their other gang homeboy and they're talking about all this identity theft and you don't even have to pick up a gun no more. And I hear all these guys teaching each other how to commit crimes. <laughs> and I'm sitting there saying, oh my God, I didn't know none of that. I'm glad I didn't know that, you know, because I'm a reformed man now, I'm a Christian, but I'm listening to this stuff and I'm realizing how these guys are talking about doing crimes that you never even have to hold a gun. So yes, prisons are a breeding ground to become institutionalized and to learn basically how to do more crime and become worse. Now, there is movements, like I told you, in the prison system where they are moving toward offering rehabilitative programs. The problem is with this right now, we're spending a lot of money and we're not gonna see the numbers. California is spending, four, what is it, $14 billion? Yeah, $15 billion around 15 $15 billion right now to incarcerate. And when you look at, you know, I just left in 2011 after doing almost 30 years incarcerated straight from age 18 to 47. And you know, I, I, uh, I had educated myself, you know, uh, a lot, uh, it didn't start that way, but, and I'll go into explaining to you what, what happened to me and where my reform happened. But when you look at the numbers, I mean, we're talking about over $100,000 a year to incarcerate one inmate right now in California. And what's not being talked about, people like myself who have medical issues. I mean, I have a pacemaker in me. It was costing them over two hundred to $250,000 a year to incarcerate me and to keep me. And you have an aging population of what they call the lifer inmate who's been down for decades and decades like myself. And some of these men have not reformed themselves and have not earned 
that uh, um, exit to get paroled. So they're still being carried under the budget of the Department of Corrections. So that's different the, than the 100K per, per inmate? Is yes, that it's almost it's health doubled, health okay. easily doubled. You're spending a lot of money to house inmates. You look at it right now, you can send a person to Stanford University for $75,000 a year. <laughs> I looked at that number and I was shocked how sad it is that we are putting so much money into warehousing and California gets nothing back out of that. There's no taxes. So what is the environment like in these prisons? So the idea is you made a mistake, you, you kind of get punished, you go to this place, and uh, one, one of the thoughts is that we put people away from the society so they can't commit the crime again, uh, at least for a while. But what does, it, what does the environment look like when you're in this? Well, you know, I went in the system in 1982 at uh, 18 years old. So I seen basically punishment. It was putting the inmate in a very animalistic perspective, less than human. And it was something that it kind of bred itself. And inmates are fighting each other with knives, zip guns. I mean, you can see the paraphernalia, the things that they created to kill one another. And you're being exposed to an, an atmosphere similar to war, Vietnam. I mean, these guys are all out trying to uh, inflict harm on each other and to some extent to put that same threat on correctional officers too. So in order to be a correctional officer, you had to get tough. And this is why I say that I do understand the pressures that the correctional staff went through too that were put into these places along with us because I was young myself. When I went in there, I was 18 years old. You know, and your mind really doesn't develop until age 25, but you're not aware of those things at the time. Old country soaps are handcrafted, long-lasting soap bars made on a farm in South Dakota with soothing natural ingredients without harsh chemicals that can dry out your skin. They can produce a creamy lather unlike anything you've tried before. Just a great American-made product that will leave your skin feeling soft and smooth all day long. The soap is multi-purpose. You can also use it for your hair, it's great for shaving, and safe for pets. Every order comes with an exfoliating soap bag. It can hold smaller pieces of soap and can prevent soap bars from slipping out of the hand. After each use, just leave the soap bar inside and hang dry. It will last a long time. This company does not sell on Amazon, so go to oldcountrysoap.com and reward yourself and your loved ones. Use promo code INSIDER and get an exclusive 20% off your order. Let's support a company that brings back traditional American values and American manufacturing. Now let's go back to the interview. So I ended up picking up the prison um, ways and I ended up uh, doing the things that I should not have done. And that was out of fear and to stay alive. No justification for it, but that's just what I did and, and that's my story. And uh, the changing moment was in these cells right here. I had seen an inmate on his way to the shower 
in handcuffs behind his back. And another inmate had cut out of his cell. It took like 30 days to, to make these cuts. They were the old bars. People would use jeweler string or saws. They would get the contraband, like I said, through different means. And, uh, but, you know, this person took the time to cut the bars out. So we all knew from being able to pick up on the noise, even if somebody... somebody's cutting something. Yeah, even when somebody's shadowing it with music and stuff, you, if, you've, if you've been in places and you've you studied behavior and movements and sound, you can underhear the, hear the, the, the sound that's trying to be hidden. So I knew that uh, somebody was going to be murdered here soon. So it happened to happen almost in front of my cell. And, you know, as I'm watching this person get stabbed, guy cut out of the bars. Back then, they used to have these little plexiglasses, and I looked, and I seen the guy come out, and he had a knife in his mouth, and he was on his knees, and then he rushed the guy. The officer took off running, and I seen the guy stab the guy in front of my cell, you know, over 30-something times. And, and the guy had his hands behind his back cuffed, you know. You know, the incident was over and everything. Later that evening, it just bothered me that incident so much. I had seen death. I had seen a lot of violence in there. But this one really bothered me. And I asked myself, <clears throat> why can't I get that out of my mind? And I remember something very strong coming through my conscience. And it said, if you don't change, you are going to die like that one day. They're going to do you like that. If you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. And I realized at that point, that I believe that. And what a way to go, like an animal, for the people that are supposed to be your loyalty to, that that is going to be, it isn't going to be a 401k. It's, it's going to be somebody chopping you up like an animal and giving you no dignity to fight back. And so I, I started looking into my, my memory. Well, what else is there? And I remembered, because I'd been in institutions since I was 12 years old, uh, found incorrigible by the courts, and, and my mother couldn't, uh, my father was a Vietnam vet, but he was never there. He was on drugs and alcohol. So my mother raised us, six kids, so she couldn't handle me. So I was in and out of institutions since I was 12 years old. So I came on a boys' home pass, um, and I remember uh, being up to no good on the street with some friends, and I heard some sound coming from a community church that I didn't even know existed around the, you know, uh, you see a building when you're young, you don't even know what it is, but a lot of music, and it sounded like they were having a big party in there. So I told my friends, man, let's go see what's going on over there. And so we went over there. My friends finally figured out what it was, and they ran. They all oh, these people are crazy. <laughs> For some reason, I went in, and I had a life-changing experience at 12 years old, and I got touched. Uh, it was a Christian church. I got touched by God. And I remember all excited leaving that church. And I remember thinking in my mind, not even being raised in a Christian family, thinking in my mind the experience was so powerful that I know now there's a God of love that cares about me and loves me. And He died for me. And His name is Jesus, and I know why I'm here in this world now. And I ran home all excited to go tell my mom and my family and everything. And, of course, the reception wasn't nothing like <laughs> I thought. <laughs> and they took me back that, that Monday to the, the boys' home. And, you know, I'm 12 years old, so we're pulling up to this boys' home, and everybody's in there pretty much all the way 14, 15, 16, all the way to 17. And I had already established enough little blows with guys that they gave me my respect and left me alone. So I realized that this, 
Bible that I was bringing with me, it was going to cause me problems. These people were going to see vulnerability. They're, they're going to take advantage of me because I'm a Christian now. So I decided to put the Bible down. And I remember saying to God, I know who you are now, but you know what I got to deal with. So once I'm out of these places, I'll go look for you. Well, the long story short, that never happened. And that's why I was sitting up there in San Quentin. Because when you're young, you're thinking about respect. In prison, respect is fear. Okay, you fear me because what I can do to you. So you don't disrespect me, violate me, take my belongings. You don't do anything wrong to me or I'm going to hurt you. And it hurt you in prison is stab you. They're going to try to kill you, okay? Anything less is cowardly. There's no more fighting. When you're in prison, it's knives, okay? You don't take a knife. I mean, you don't take your fist to a knife fight. Okay, you, you better have another knife. So that was the, that was the, the culture that, that I was in now. I, I had to realize, I went from juvenile detentions to fighting. Now they're saying, no more fighting, buddy. You learn to take knives. You need to, you know, and you don't even want to know the places they put these knives to hide them. But it was that little place, those people, that I started growing with, that I started making a, an identity with. And it was a whole new identity. And I realized that this brought peace. This brought self-worth. This brought value. There's a God that's bigger than the prisons. He's bigger than, you know, anything I could ask for. He's the God of the universe. And I'm being told that I'm his son. So I said, there's nothing better than this. So I, I started looking and, and looking at what the Bible had to say. And I wasn't looking at the Bible from the rules perspective, like many people do, the do's and don'ts. I wanted to look at this relationship that he talked about, that I was his son now. So I wanted to look at people like David. There's a person, a story in the Bible of this man, David, how he had a relationship with God, and God used to hear his prayers. So I started looking into those, these relationships and how to uh, attract God's attention as a father. And I realized in this pursuit that I was creating, of course, later I saw this, I was creating a new identity. And I was actually creating a new thought process by undoing the criminal mind that would, would just automatically be there because of my upbringing. I started rewiring it to this new belief system which was a man is not violent. A man doesn't have to be violent. A man can use self-control. A man can use no truth and be able to live by that truth even under threat, even under um, persecution, and doesn't have to be violent. And that's where real strength was. This is what I saw. And it was revolutionary because I said, well, wait a minute, that's the totally opposite of what I, I was shown. This got taken to such a level that I started, I went to college in prison. I got three vocational trainings. Uh, I went to Bible college while in prison. Uh, I began to bring self-help books into my cell, English books, grammar, history books, anything. I was so hungry for anything that I could absorb that would help me understand humanity better and to better myself 
so that whatever I did, I would be taken more seriously as a reformed person. And, you know, it was so revolutionary that I was in a level four prison. I was in a position where I had over 100 points. Most people don't even know what that means. But if there's an audience of the prison environment that hears what I'm saying, they'll know what I mean. I was in a level four with over 100 points under Arnold Schwarzenegger, governor. Stanford University said only 6% chance will a first-degree murder inmate leave under, out through his watch. And I was one of them because of my reform. 100 points is a lot of points. Is that how it works? It's like a lot of points after three decades. You should already be down to like 20 or 10 points. And you should already be, what that does is that it qualifies you to go to a level, lower level prison in a dormitory. I was still in a level four almost 30 years later because my earlier years were so bad. I got into so much violence and so wrong before I had my transformation as a Christian that even after 30 years later, it was going to take another 10 years to give me enough points to get me to that level that I was looking for to possibly go home. So when I went home, it was a miracle. While I was in this re-entry re program, the first day there in the morning, everybody gets in line to go get their breakfast, right? So we're all getting in line at breakfast, and er I see everybody shoot and go back into the apartments because it's cold and they don't want their food to get cold. So I look around and I say, wait a minute, I'm not going to go inside buildings. I've, I've been locked up so much. I'm going to, I don't care how cold it is, I'm going to stay outside. So I seen this patio bench for visitors when they come on the property. And I, so I rushed over to the patio bench, sit down, and I start eating. And I looked up and there was this big old tree, you know, and I said, oh yeah, start eating again. I looked up again and I seen the tree. And, and then I asked myself, why is this tree so intriguing to me? And then it hit me. You haven't touched a tree in almost three decades. I got up. I went over to the bark. The bark of that tree sent a emotion through me. So it was childlike, but here's a grown man with all the appreciations of freedom and the knowledge of, you know, intricacies of what can happen, the good and bad in life. And yet this energy and this beautiful feeling coming from this tree was so profound. And I got away and I said, what people are walking around every day and don't appreciate. In level four prisons, they don't have trees because of security. You can't have a tree, it blocks the guns, it blocks view on the yards. So you don't get exposures to trees. You just see them on TV and stuff, but you don't, you, you know, you, you don't, you can't touch one. So the reality, I had sen sensory deprivation. And so connecting back where I left off in society and that emotion, was something that kept happening. I remember going by this fast food and I said, oh my God, it's been three decades, it's Jack in the Box. I hit every fast food in the first t uh, 10 months <laughs> just from getting the, I wanted the experiences again. I wanted to go to McDonald's, I wanted to go to college. I wanted to feel what it felt like again to be back out. I wanted, 
I wanted to experience the freedom that I had thrown away. And the attitude I realized is I wasn't trying to make up for lost time. God had given me the wisdom. That is, that, is, that is not the attitude. The attitude is be grateful for what time you have left and to make a difference with that time. So it seems like you found a way through a spiritual transformation which wasn't really part of the curriculum of the prison system, right? What does the rehabilitation no. look like there? Is it just, are people taking away there to just stay there and be out there? Or is there a path for them to come out? Okay, as I spoke on earlier, in the time periods that I was going through my transitions and stuff, it started changing some, okay? That's how I was able to go to college. But the percentages of people that were doing those kind of things and getting those grants inside prison, you had to go look for them. You had to apply for them. You had to do things that the average pr prisoner was not going to do. So immediately you're kind of... You're I'm going outside the box. Y essentially what they do when you go into prison, essentially you have a choice to choose which groups you go in, but the programs are not as clearly ready for you to... to you have to go out of your own way to find your path. They have the programs there, but you have to find them, right? Is that... Well, I'm a volunteer now, so I go back into prisons. I go every Sunday out in El Centro, a maximum security prison out there called uh, Calipatria. And I, I go to cell to cell, so I talk to the inmates. And by the way, this is one of the prisons that... Uh, this was the prison I paroled from. <laughs> so I'm going back. I visited the cell that I paroled from, too, to talk to the inmates there and let them know that it's possible they can they can leave too one day, and so it's, it's the story's had my story has had a big impact on these guys more than I even realized. Going back to, so I'm finding now the rehabilitation now is night and day, so they do have a lot of programs now, cognitive behavioral therapy, they have um, I mean, endless amounts of programs are, have come into these facilities. And they are making availability now. So this is, this is a big plus. This is like huge. Um, however, I've done my research and I'm looking into, now that, that I saw all this, I'm looking into how effective it has all this been. And we don't know yet. We don't know because what we don't know is how much time is being given and what do these classrooms really look like? The science says that cognitive behavioral therapy works. It's like the gold standard of therapy for changing uh, behavior and dealing with addiction, okay? But how much of it is being science-based and implemented, we don't know. So I tried to look. The Department of Corrections is not tracking it. So why they're not tracking it, <laughs> I don't know. But they should be tracking it because by tracking it, you can find out what's happening in the classrooms. You can find out if they're applying it appropriately and science-based and the programs are what they are supposed to be on paper in the classrooms. What do they need to track? Is it going to be like the results of recidivism or, or is it tracking uh, how people are doing after, after his classes? It's the whole process of recidivism. It's seen from step to step. These people that c completed these courses, went, got these certificates, finished these classes, okay, 
And you can even track the uh, behavior modification within the prison itself. These people were getting write-ups, 115s for bad behavior every six months for being disrespectful to staff, making wine, and all of a sudden these things stop happening. So you can even track them from in the department too before they're even ever be able to be released by them taking these classes. And then you can follow up through parole, probation, parole, and you could be track it there too. You can track it through their, their housing, um, the, the uh, type of resources they went and used right away. Because if they're applying themselves here and it's being effective and you give them enough time, they're going to have enough wisdom and, and resources to be able to know what to pursue and what's available to them once they get out. Because that's what, that's what cognitive behavior therapy is big on. So after people get out, there's no tracking to see if these programs really worked or not? No, there's no, there's no, tr and, and I'm, I'm really, I'm really startled that I don't see that. I, I'm not seeing that, that, that that's being tracked because there's a couple billion dollars going into these programs through the Department of Corrections. They're putting a lot of money in it. And it's coming from the department's budget. It's not coming from an outside budget. So the department is allocating money and they are working on this and, and they're working on it and I, and I commend them for that. But it could be uh, more resourceful. They could, they could use they could use a better method on the tracking side. What about what we have heard is that when they closed some of these uh, prisons, when they did the early release for some of the inmates, they didn't really have a system for them to get back into the society. They kind of let them out. Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, and that's why recidivism is still so high. You're talking about 76.6% recidivism. When I mean, people that come would be out, they commit a 76 percent yes. people commit crime. That that would be like you going to a, a doctor, and that hospital has a 76.6 fatality rate. Are you going to go back? <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> so something's wrong. I mean, if you're a business, you'd be bankrupt. So something's wrong with the system in that recidivism speaks volumes. When you start talking about you know, punishment is one thing, okay? If, if you're looking at punishment and you're looking at make people suffer, okay, that's a, that's a perspective, that's, that's an attitude. Um, but the thing of it is, is you're gonna pay for it. You have been a victim already and then you're gonna pay for that. Financially, yes. right? Yes, yes. And, and we're talking about billions of dollars. It's gonna be the difference between the accessibility of your children having more access to go to Stanford through you being able to get better resources of grants and different things that are normally available to uh, citizens that is all going to be allocated toward locking people up because it's I believe it's uh, almost nine percent of California's uh, 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 budget is going toward incarceration that's a lot of money what is it a uh, uh, how many billions of dollars are, are we no, allocating? Yeah, yeah. Nine, I mean, we're talking about nine, uh, 9 A good percentage because yes. the budget has gone up. You have kind of gone into this system. You've gone deep in it and you've come out. You found a spiritual way to get, get out and you've kind of figured out there is a different mindset, you know, and you, you want to be a normal citizen. You want to contribute to the society versus a criminal mindset. 
and you know both, you've come kind of train yourself back. Is there a way for people to get transformed and, and is there any solution to all of this? Yes, so I say this, faith-based alternatives is a choice just like wanting to change and not come to prison no more. It's all, it's all choices, we all have to make choices. So I tell people, if you don't want the God part, cognitive behavioral therapy by itself can change your behavior and it can actually change you to the point that you're not a criminal anymore. It can do that. I happen to just choose a higher, I wanted something more. I, I wanted something that dealt with the deeper side of morality and dealt with my existence of what's going to happen after life. Not only this life. I wanted to deal with the whole thing. But I tell people, but if you look at the science, cognitive behavior therapy works and it will provide a good life for you. It will provide you to where you are not bringing no more harm to yourself or others. Now, what about the mindset that we don't want to actually punish crime at all? Like there's some thoughts that, oh, okay, this is petty crime, just let it be. Well, first of all, that, that you know, there's one extreme to the other, right? We, I mean, you, you have to make people accountable. You know, you can't just say, well, because insurance companies say that the liability is too high, so unless the property's over $900, just let them take what they want because we don't want nobody hurt. Okay, now wait a minute. You're, if you let a criminal see that they can get away with something, and they're drug addicts and they have all these issues, you can better believe that these stores are going to be in trouble. Okay, and that's what we've done. You've got to make people accountable. You can't throw out, you know, it's like throwing out the baby with the, with the bathwater. You can't, you, you can't do that. You have, to, you have to separate and look at what, okay, what's the issue here? The real issue here is, is being able to address crime. And in whatever way you're going to address it, through rehabilitation, you have to lock people up. I mean, you have to make them uh, accountable. But the way by which we go about that and we process it and we deal with it is the part that everybody's looking at now. So essentially our model is we don't either, either we don't want to punish crime or we, want, we actually created these environments where it institutionalizes people, right? Is that? That's exactly what we've done. We've, we've actually looked at criminals and said um, we need to punish them and we need to make them hurt for their, we need to make them suffer. Now, granted, if it worked, okay, you know, because, I mean, criminals did wrong. They, you know, if, if you look it in the eyes of, uh, you know, right and wrong, they should suffer too. The problem is it doesn't work. If you are going to continually house inmates, then we're gonna end up locking up all of California. Turn on your TV, watch crime. In a recession, in a depression, possibly we're heading into, <laughs> crime is only going to get worse. And it costs a lot of money to house people and incarcerate them today. And then when they go into these prisons, they actually become worse. Much worse. Than actually getting rehabbed or... Yes. They're saying a juvenile, if he starts as a juvenile incarcerated, and he goes into adulthood and just starts just starts, not even a lifer yet, just starts into the prison system as an adult. 
$1.3 million you've spent on him. That's what you're spending. When he starts as a juvenile and he ends up in the adult system and he's just starting out yet, three, four years, five years in the system already, easily tops into $1.3 million for that one juvenile that they crossed through the system. And just that part, not that's the rest. That's just that part. That's not the rest. There's a large amount of money that's being spent by us taxpayers that we're not realizing, wait a minute, are people redeemable? So we're spending the money on, on, on rehab, but we're not getting any numbers, any we, statistics on what... We don't know the numbers yeah. yet. And that's what I was telling you is I tried to look at the numbers because I wanted to see, because like I told you, I, I have a book. I just written it. Uh, it's Cognitive Behavior Therapy, Faith-Based. And I'm going to be promoting that. I mean, wh what better example? <laughs> the person who actually, I'm taking the steps that I used and putting it on paper, putting it in a book, and showing people from my story of what change looks like from the incident, from the stabbing, all the way down, and showing inmates how you can take those steps through cognitive behavior therapy, a, a faith-based process of transforming yourself and what the ugliness looks like through the transformation, what we call relapse. Because through this Christianity walk, I had relapses in different forms, and I had to contend with them and deal with them. It's the whole adage of saying, you know, I became a millionaire, but I had three bankruptcies. But nobody knows about the bankruptcies, right? <laughs> Alfred Lopez, it was great to have you on California Insider. Thank you. It was a pleasure. If you like the show and our content, you should go to insiderca.com and sign up to our newsletter because we never know what can happen with social media and other platforms in terms of distributing our content. If you'd like to come on the show and be an insider, you can reach out to us at cainsider at epochtimesca.com. Again, it's cainsider at epochtimesca.com. We would love to have you on the show to tell us what's going on in your field in California. Thank you for watching.